I believe that coaching is worth the investment because it will make a difference in your career, in your your life. It really does. Are you an ambitious attorney who wants to build a life and career that you cannot wait to wake up for? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Powerhouse Lawyers, a podcast for the powerhouse in each of us. I'm your host, Erin Gurner, a former lawyer, wife, mom, and life coach. And I am on a mission to empower women in the law to define success on their terms by leveraging their unique superpowers to help them win in both law and life. Join me each week to hear inspiring stories, real talk, and the practical tips you need to redefine the toxic narratives that are keeping women overwhelmed trying to do it all. You are worthy and capable of building a life and career that you've always wanted. And I'm here to empower you along the way. So if you're ready to practice law differently, let's go. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Powerhouse Lawyers. I am your host, Erin Gurner, and I am so excited to have our next guest on with us. She is my good friend, Tiffany Limbrick. She is a powerhouse attorney. She's actually also one of my clients, and I'm just so thrilled and tickled to death to have her on the show today. So Tiffany spent the first eight years of her career as a litigator, and then two years after that as in-house counsel for the same firm. She recently took a new job as the director of licensing for Right Now Media, which she is absolutely loving. She manages um, their library of 20,000 Bible study videos. She's also very passionate about empowering women through her work with the Polish Network, which is a faith-based driven networking opportunity for women in the law. She is currently the chapter director for um, North Dallas chapter, which is amazing. I'm actually speaking there next month with her. So I'm super excited to do that. She's also very um, active in the anti-human trafficking movement, something she's very, very passionate about. And she is able to contribute to this fight as a community trainer for Unbound Now, which is, she just is, that's amazing to me. And last, but certainly not least, she is a single mom to a sweet six-year-old boy. And he just started, what, first grade? Kindergarten. So that's amazing. And he is just a sweetheart. And this is also a fun fact that I just have to share with our audience because I also love pandas. She's mildly obsessed with pandas and her like, one of her bucket list items is to pet the pandas at the Atlanta Zoo. So if anyone's listening to the podcast today, shout out and reach out to Tiffany. And if she can pet a panda, then maybe we can make that happen. But welcome to the show, Tiffany. I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I am just thrilled. Awesome. Okay. Well, that was the bird's eye view of who Tiffany is and what she's doing. But I love if you would start at the beginning and tell us why you went to law school, how you became a lawyer, and um, a little bit about your career up until now. Absolutely. So I actually had two other careers before I went to law school. I started out in nonprofit management and did that for a few years until uh, the nonprofit that I was working for lost the grant for my position. And I had to scramble to find a job that actually paid my mortgage. And I ended up in sales. And uh, I enjoyed sales. And I always recommend that if you uh, are looking for a job, go grab one in sales because you will learn just a vast amount about life and people and uh, just how things work. 
but in sales, I had a mentor who was married to a lawyer and he regrets introducing me to his wife because she convinced me to go to law school and quit working for him. <laughs> so <laughs> she convinced me to take the LSAT and I went off to law school with dreams of becoming a federal prosecutor. So law school went very well for me. And I had the opportunity to go into big law. And with the mountain of law school loans that I had, I thought that was the smartest path for me to do. So I ended up in uh, big law instead of federal prosecution, although I had dreams of doing and paying off my law school loans and then going into federal prosecution that just uh, never manifested, but that's okay. I admire federal prosecutors for all that they do. Uh, but I, I lived my life in big law, paid off those law school loans though. So, hey, we got that done. Check that yeah. box. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your journey in big law. What did that look like? Um, I know what my journey in big law looked like and felt like. Um, and I would just love to hear what yours was like. So I, I was fortunate to be in a big law office in a regional uh, office, though. So I think that gives me a little bit different perspective than being in like a New York office, for example. So I had all the big law work, but the benefits of a regional office. And um, I frankly was not really prepared for big law. I'm a first generation lawyer in my family. So my research consisted of reading books, watching TV, which of course does not give you a realistic impression <laughs> of what big law is like uh, talking to people. But I really don't believe that anything prepares you for what big law actually is uh, because nothing can predict what the demands are, the, the competing demands, the sheer amount of work that you're going to be exposed to, and really the politics of big law. Nothing can really prepare you for that. And so I walked into that world not really knowing what to expect. And I will admit that it was it was tough for me. I'm a type A driven personality, as many big law attorneys are. But I walked in with this attitude that I needed to perform to really earn my place. And I took that in as a um, that I needed to prove myself. And to prove my worth by performing. And that really affected the lens through which I did everything there. And so I put my head down and I worked my tail off. I worked from sunup to sundown, seven days a week. I was on call 24-7. And you know what? Big Law loved me. They loved me. I made them so much money. <laughs> so... <laughs> And of course, they just loved all of that, and they ate it up. But it affected my uh, it affected my marriage. I was a newlywed. It affected my health. It affected my sleep. It affected my family. I missed family events. I mean, it affected everything, and it started to have a toll on really my entire life. And it got to a point where I was driving to work one day, and I had this thought, I thought, well, if I could just get into a car accident where I got badly enough hurt that I wasn't going to die, but I was seriously hurt enough that I couldn't work, it would be okay. Like that would be an ideal situation because vacations weren't enough. 
like going on vacation in big law, you still have to be on call and you still have to be able to work. And often I did work on vacations. So a vacation wasn't enough. I needed to get injured and injured enough to not work. Being sick was not enough either. So I had this thought and then I expressed it to a friend and I was laughing, but she wasn't laughing at me. And I thought, oh, wait a second. This isn't, this isn't normal. And so then that's when I kind of stopped and I thought, okay, maybe, maybe I need to talk to someone. So that's what I ended up having to do. So first of all, you're not the only person or lawyer that's told me a similar story of like, maybe if I just ended up in the hospital somehow, then no one could like find me. And then I could actually like get off the map. So like, while I would not have laughed with you. That is not an unfamiliar story. Just so viewers are like, and listeners are aware, like that is how intense this environment is. It's like, and you feel like you can't stop or everything that you've done, like the whole house of cards is going to fall. So I think, I mean, mental health is obviously a huge, huge issue in big law. And you said this was obviously like bleeding into everything. So what steps did you take once you kind of had that epiphany of like, whoa, like I should not be thinking I want to like crash my car to go to the hospital instead of work. Like, what did you do to kind of right this ship at it in the midst of all that chaos? So the first thing I did is I found a good, solid therapist that I could speak with. And I started meeting with her on a weekly basis. And uh, she taught me a very important thing that I will impart the basics to you, but I encourage everyone to go and learn about it themselves. But it was about boundaries. And the basics of boundaries is that you can say no. And the idea is, is the, it's basically that you can say no and you can say no to ridiculous requests. You can say no when they ask you to stay up late for the 10th time in a row. You can say no when they ask you to miss your anniversary dinner or your kid's birthday party. You can say no when they're berating at you and cussing at you in and treating you unprofessionally, you can say no to all of those things. But you can also say no to reasonable requests too, if they are impeding your daily life in a way that is uh, impacting your health, your, your, uh, your mental health, your family life, you know, any, anything that is an important value to you. And so the way that you do this, though, is you do it in a professional manner and you do it in a way that um, that you can control. So, for example, if you have someone who is treating you unprofessionally, you don't tell them to stop because you can't control them. Right. You tell them. I will uh, I'm going to in this meeting until you can treat me more professionally and then you get up. And you walk away from the meeting because you are controlling your own behavior. So you've set your boundary and you've walked away. And so boundaries work just like that. And so what I did is I did baby boundaries at first because I had to experiment. You have to start with baby boundaries. <laughs> like people pleasers, like we have to start small, man. 
like saying no, because I know that there are listeners listening to this that are in big law right now that are sitting there and be like, Tiffany, I don't feel like I can say no. Like they literally listen to you and are like, oh my God, like, I don't even feel like I could say that. So let's talk about saying no and like how you took baby steps on starting to say no. Cause I think this is what a lot of people need to hear because to them saying no means I'm going to get fired. Right. And that's exactly how how I felt. I mean, exactly. When my therapist told me that, I said, you're crazy. There's no way I can do this. And I will tell you, my therapist used to be in big law. So I found a therapist who used to be a lawyer. She worked at the big law firm that I used to work at, which was perfect so that she knew exactly what I was talking about. She even knew some of the people I worked with, which was like amazing. (laughs) What a godsend. I mean, just as a side note, what, I mean, talk about like, the right person. My goodness. What? I mean, that is like totally the Lord working in your life and putting that person there. That's incredible. I know. Anyway, continue. I know it was great. So it was amazing. So she knew what I was experiencing. So when I said, you don't know what I'm talking about, she said, okay, Tiffany, of course I know what you're talking about. So she helped me craft these baby step boundary, boundary setting um, actions. So for example, my biggest challenge And I find, I believe a lot of the biggest challenges for big law lawyers is dealing with these deadlines, right? You've got a partner who comes in, I need this right now. And you're looking at them and you've got eight other partners who are saying the exact same thing. So how do you deal with that when you've got that ninth partner coming in and saying, I need this right now? So the baby set boundary is saying, okay, I can get this to you but I can't do it right now. How about insert a deadline that is reasonable to you? And that worked for me nine times out of 10. And that 10th time, it opened up a negotiation. And so we would reach some other reasonable date that was not the right now date. Or it would say, if the partner truly needed it right now because the client was clamoring on their back, it allowed you to negotiate with that partner for that partner to go to a different partner who had said right now, other partner, okay, your right now needs to move. And so it opened that door and to a conversation that you would not have had, had you just said yes. And so it was really a baby step thing. And I'll tell you what, in my performance evaluations, I actually got praised for this. People actually said, wow, Tiffany, you're so well organized. You are managing your workload well. You are doing such a good job in juggling all the balls that are in the air. And so people were actually proud of me. And all I'm sitting here thinking was, I'm just trying to protect my sleep and my mental health. (laughs) So, I mean, it worked out in my favor. And so by me setting those baby steps, it really allowed me to be in a good position when I did get into a situation where I had to set a much firmer boundary, which I ended up having to do at a later point. So can you talk about that? Because I think that's important too. I mean, I think that it is so key for people to just listen to this in the language of how to respond. Because I think it's like, I think in our conscious mind, we know that we can say no, but it's like, what would we even say? No, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like that's it's, It sounds so laughable, but you're like, 
what would I say? Like, how, how do you say no? And so I think that's such a great example of, first of all, the boundary is always about you, right? Like what is a reasonable time frame to you? And then just responding in kind and noticing how they take that as being organized and not as a negative, right? They see you as knowing you've got different cases and different things that you've got to prioritize. So they actually saw you in a better light than you actually just saying yes in the first place. Right, right. So I ended up um, having to set a firmer boundary when I became a single mom. And I made the personal decision to cut back on my hours because my son was going through a hard time and it getting a divorce is just, it's traumatic for everyone involved. And I wanted to spend more time with my son. And so I had to go in and I, well, I went flex time. So I went with uh, where I could work hours that uh, were of my choosing. And then I also went 80%. So I was only working 80% of 100% hours. So um, in in theory, I was working 30 of 40 hours, but we all know that big law associates don't work 40 hours. They work more like 80 to 100 hours. So in theory, I was really working like 60 to 75 hours a week. (laughs) I love that that's called flex time. I mean, that sounds, I mean, seriously, that is like... The scope of like what's normal in big law versus what's normal in real life is like sometimes almost funny if it wasn't real. Right. I know it it just cracks me up. But but the flex time aspect of it was very helpful, allowing me to leave at an earlier time in the day so that I could go get my son and spend some time with him while he's awake <laughs> and, then, and then work when he was not. But it did require because I was leaving during the daylight hours (laughs) and spending time with him during those daylight hours, which frankly were prime working hours for my partners because the partners I worked for tended to not work in the early morning. They didn't start their day till around 10 a.m. and worked later in the day, generally until about six or eight. And so that's what they expected their associates to work. And so I was leaving around five And there was about a three-hour gap there that they were expecting me to work. And so I had to set a firm boundary for those three hours of saying, I'm not going to be available during this time. And not only am I not available, I'm not checking email regularly during this time because I'm focused on my son. And so because I had already set those baby boundaries, it was easier for me to say, I'm not going to be available during this time because they had already heard me say, yes, I'm going to do work for you, but on my timeline. And so I could say, yes, I'm going to do this project for you, but not between 5 and 8 p.m. today. Yes, I can get this to you, but it's going to have to be tomorrow morning because I, in exchange for not working from between 5 and 8, I woke up really early the next day generally and worked. And so that was the compromise. And I tell you what, they tested that boundary. They tested that boundary real hard. They were constantly pushing up against it. But I held it and nobody got in professional with me. I just said, this is how it is. And I constantly repeated myself just politely and professionally and held that boundary of saying, I'm sorry, I'm not available during this time because I'm spending this time with my son. 
due to flex time. And they would say, oh yeah, I'm sorry, I forgot. No problem. See you tomorrow morning, kind of a thing. Every once in a while, they'll say, there's a client emergency. I really need you to be here. And I would say, okay, I've got to arrange childcare. I can't be available at 5 p.m. I'll be available at 6.30 or something to that effect. And there were every once in a while, just accommodations that you have to make because you are a big law lawyer at the end of the day and client emergencies pop up and that's how it goes. But those were rare occurrences. And those were times when I made the choice to rearrange my own boundary to accommodate a client emergency as a senior associate. I made those decisions to serve a client. And so that's just how it was. But without having making having made those baby boundary steps, mm-hmm. it made the that big boundary step a lot easier to put into place. Yes, absolutely. And it feels like it feels less overwhelming, I'm sure. And you actually probably felt very empowered walking in there knowing like this is what I need and this is what I'm asking for. And I mean, good for you for sticking to that boundary. I think that that is just really great encouragement for any big law lawyers that are out there listening to this podcast, that yes, you can form boundaries and you can hold to them nicely and professionally and with grace, you know, and with your integrity and do still do outstanding work. So yeah. I think that that is 100% the lesson here. And if you find that that's not possible within your situation, then maybe it's the situation, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but I think it's really great to know and for people to hear that sticking to boundaries can be very professional, very graceful. You can still do great work, still get accolades and everything else, but hold firm to what you need and aligns with your values. I think that's where that friction always starts, right? And is when we are not holding true to our values. Like, I mean, wouldn't you say like, that was the big part of the boundaries for you, right? Is having that family value and knowing that you had to set a boundary accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. And that really was what it boiled down to was just big law was rubbing up against my family value. And I really just needed, needed to be there for my family, especially when we were going through a traumatic time. I mean, that's just exactly what it boiled down to. Yeah, absolutely. So I know I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that you are one of my fantastic coaching clients. And I would love for you to share a little bit with the audience about coaching, what brought you to coaching. I still find that there are lawyers who are like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know something like this existed or what does it actually like mean to have a a, a life coach? Like, I don't need like help with my life. Like I'm okay. So I would <laughs> love for you to say how you got into coaching and just a little bit about it. And we'll just ask you some more questions along the way too. Yeah, absolutely. Primarily, but also just kind of a life perspective. I had um, been divorced for a couple of years and So I'd gotten kind of past that like initial trauma, if you will, and had kind of recovered from a lot of that. And during that initial trauma, I I stopped all my life, right? Because you you kind of have to when you're kind of going through that sort of thing. So I stopped all of my extra careers and focused on my uh, my son and myself, and stopped all my extracurriculars, and then focused on just that. And then I was feeling stuck in my career 
And then I got this message on LinkedIn from this woman named Erin Gerner about coaching. And I was like, oh, this sounds really interesting. Did a little research into it. And I thought, you know what? This sounds exactly like what I need. I need someone to help me get unstuck. And that's exactly what happened. And really, it was such a um, life-giving experience for me because it really just got me out of this little hole that I was in. And we can go through all the ways that you helped me get out of that little hole. But that's really essentially what you did is you got me moving again. And I feel so much better. I mean, it's like, I would say that it's probably something I could have done on my own, but it would have taken me like, I don't know, five or six years. (laughs) Instead, we did it in six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I did it with somebody who was so encouraging and motivating and uplifting and who taught me a lot of things. And it was such a better experience than if I had tried to dig myself out by myself. Like it would so and I yeah. think that that's really what coaching is. That is why I always will invest in myself because I know that there's someone who is where I want to be and that can get me there faster. And yes. I think oftentimes with lawyers, when we sit in the seat of authority all day long, we get trapped in this vicious cycle of not feeling like we can ask for help and feeling like we have to figure it out all on our own because like we should know all the answers. And if we don't, there's something wrong with us. It's like, if it's meant to be, it's all up to me. And so we get in this vicious cycle and frankly, you do get stuck. You start to procrastinate on your dreams and you just, you find yourself in the same vicious cycle. And that is the benefit of a coach because It's not anyone sitting there pointing out things that are going wrong in your life. That is the exact opposite of what's happening. What it is, is you coming to this person and saying, like, I feel stuck. These are my goals. Let's work together on how to get there. And a coach offers a different perspective, actionable item tips, and holds you accountable and encourages you along the way. And that is what a coach is. It gets you to where you want to go faster. So I'd love if you would share what your goals were when you started coaching and what's happened since then. Well, one of my big goals uh, when we started coaching was that I wanted to make some meaningful movement in my career. My goal was to ultimately find a job in the ministry field. And I was not expecting that I would find one while I was coaching. I just wanted to make some movement in that direction. Spoiler alert, I got one while I was in the middle of coaching. (laughs) So there was some definite movement on that goal. So we can check that one off. Uh, So that was a big goal. I also wanted to uh, get back into my, what I call my extracurriculars, like volunteering. And um, so I wanted to get back into volunteering for anti-human trafficking efforts. And I wanted to improve my public speaking skills. Um, I have been a speaker for a while on a variety of law topics. And I, well, I was pre-divorce. And so I had not done it in a while. And I wanted to kind of bring those skills back in some form or fashion. And so those were kind of my big goals uh, from a big picture. 
Awesome. So what did, and you like, you've kicked all of those goals asses, like, by the way, like, I mean, (laughs) this chick gets on the phone. I mean, this is so amazing. Like literally after our first phone call, we had this whole human trafficking conversation and that she wanted to anti-human trafficking and she wanted to get back into public speaking. And we went through a whole laundry list of things we can do or whatever. And she comes back to the next call, like not two weeks later and has had a meeting, has set up an appointment to like start training with these people and like just taking serious action. And it's not that you, like you said, you wouldn't have taken that action eventually, but it's right. It's the perspective of like, okay, it's literally just one step. And then one step leads to the next step. So I would love for you to talk about what that looked like for you. Like, how was it starting to work with me and then starting to take action? Like, how did that work for you in your life? Was it just small baby steps along the way? Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. It was really one of the the big things that I believe that you really showed me was intentionality. And it's really the small steps that lead to big changes. And that's, that's really what kind of took the weight off of my shoulders too, was like, okay, I can take a small step. And so with the, um, the volunteering in the anti-human trafficking goal, for example, we talked about, okay, we'll just do a little bit of research every day. Right. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I can take 10 minutes every day and do a little bit of Googling. Like that's, that's not that bad. Like I can manage that. I could do that while my son's eating on my phone. And so that's what I did. So, you know, two weeks later, it wasn't that big of a leap to have had done the research and found an organization that kind of aligned with what I was trying to do. And so it was just those little tiny steps that started leading and snowballing into something bigger And that was really what the coaching was doing, was helping me take those tiny, small steps that just got bigger and bigger and bigger that eventually connected me with this organization that I now volunteer with. And and by the way, volunteer role that I have is a public speaking role. And so we did two goals with one, right? So it just happened to work out that way. And what you focus on grows. That's, I mean, you know, what you focus on grows. I say it all the time, you know, even though you quote unquote, weren't looking for a new career, you had your mind on that. It's like when you like, all you see is red cars, right? Like, and then you like, you're like, oh, I want this red car. And then all you see is red cars or whatever. So what you focus on grows. And that's exactly, that's exactly what happened. So how was the transition? Talk to me about making the transition from your job. Um, cause I feel like you made this transition in such a healthy mindset, even though you were taking on a really, really huge project, drinking, essentially drinking from the fire hose again, but in a completely different mindset than when you were drinking from the fire hose in big law. Yes. So this job is completely different from big law. It's, um, in the ministry field. And so, We are, uh, I'm the biggest difference is that I'm the only lawyer for the organization, but the, the biggest difference with this job is that I'm the only lawyer for the organization. And so that's been a completely different shift. And the other 
thing about the transition is that the previous lawyer for the organization left about two months before I came in. So there was two months of backlog of legal work that I walked into. And so, and I walked in at the change of the fiscal year. And so there was a huge amount of work when I, on my first day. And I literally walked in expecting training on my first day. And they were like, nope, here you go. <laughs> Here's all the work. <laughs> So I rolled up my sleeves and started drafting contracts. <laughs> but um, I will admit that uh, initially it was it was overwhelming and um, and it was a, a bit uh, a bit scary. Uh, it was a change in industries. It was a change in the type of law that I practice. And and then it was just a, a completely different environment. And then being the only lawyer, I did not have, you know, the friend down the hall that I could go talk to and say, hey, I, you know, want to bounce an idea off of you, you know, that sort of thing. I love the work. Don't get me wrong, but it was just a bit overwhelming. But I did remember something from my coaching days. <laughs> and Erin taught me when I get overwhelmed to do a brain dump. And I know she's talked about it on her podcast before, but it's worth going over again because it's such a good idea. But you take everything that is overwhelming you in your brain, everything on your to-do list and put it all in one place. Just literally dump it from your brain onto a piece of paper and get it out of your brain. And once it's down, it's done. And from there, you'll feel so much better. And then you can decide what you're going to do with it. A lot of it, like you're not going to be able to do and you can move on from it and whatnot. What I do now on a weekly basis is I do this on Friday afternoons and I just brain dump the work stuff, but that becomes my to-do list for the following week. And it has been life-changing on how I manage my workload because I do have to manage so many different types of workflows that it's just been a much better way on uh, to organize how I handle my weeks. And I mean, life-changing. I love it. <laughs> so I highly recommend it for anyone. But it's a good, um, it's good for work, but it's also good for life. Mm-hmm. So anytime you're feeling overwhelmed, brain dump it. it. I mean, highly recommend it. I know Erin pushes it every chance she gets, but I'm seconding it. <laughs> That's so funny. Yes, because it is. And I brain dump all the time too. I have to because overwhelm lives in our head. And if we let it live there, then we actually can't do anything about it because it just paralyzes us. It becomes just too much stuff on repeat. So just like you said, literally getting it out, the act of like writing it down is just free in and of itself. And you haven't even checked anything off of that thing yet. It's like just getting it out of your head onto paper is so cathartic. And then, like you said, you can look at the list and say, well, that's not mine. I don't need to do that. That can wait. And you can actually start then taking action from that place. I love that you've made it your to-do list. I do that too. Fun fact. But, um, and I like that you do it on Friday afternoons. I may start doing that. because That's a great way to like end the week because you're thinking of like what you need to pick back up on on Monday when you get back to your desk. So that's a great little tip I may implement in my life too. <laughs> yeah. You did on Fridays and then your weekend is clear, right? Your brain is clear before you go into your weekend. That's then- a good point. That's a great point. Exactly. Like you've, especially for work purposes to like clean all that out of your brain before you go home so you can enjoy the weekend. That's huge. Yeah. Huge. 
Okay. So before we wrap up, I would love to know, so why would you recommend coaching? Like what would be your message to our viewers listening about coaching, whether that's with me or with someone else? I We talk about all the time investing in ourselves. It's like, you got to put on your oxygen mask before you can help someone else. But I just did a podcast last week with my friend Elise, and we were just talking about still this resistance with women of investing in ourselves. It's like, oh, well, that money could go towards this, or I needed to do this, or everyone else needed this instead of actually pouring into our own cup so then we can pour out into other people. Um, I would love to know any thoughts you have for our viewers. Oh, absolutely. So I believe that coaching is worth the investment because it will make a difference in your career, in your uh, in your life. It really does impact how you view and how you, I want to say run your life, and that may not even be the right way, but how you organize and approach your life. And in, I've given plenty of examples, but it's really changed my mindset on how I approach things. I mean, this idea of small changes leading to big results, that applies universally. And that's really something that I learned in coaching and applied. And that is the great thing about coaching, which I think really is the benefit of it is that it's not just learning something like you do in a workshop. You learn it and you apply it and you have a cheerleader who's going to help you apply it. And Erin is a great cheerleader, but she's also a hard taskmaster. She'll make sure you get it done too. <laughs> so it's not a, it, it's a little bit different there, right? So it, it that's what coaching helps you do is it'll teach you. It'll encourage you. It'll help you get it done. Yeah. And that's really what you need when you're trying to implement changes in your life and improvements in your life. And that's what I think coaching can help you do. Yes. And it's specified towards you because every single person is different. So it's specified just towards you and what you're going, what is happening in your life right now. It's aligned with what's happening in your life. It's never a one size fits all. So I think, you know what I mean? Like that is also why I love it. You have like this personal person who's right here beside you, cheerleading you and helping you work step-by-step towards your dreams. So Thank you for trusting me with that process. And it has been, I say all the time that I have the best seat in the house. I get, I don't do anything. Like I say all the time, like I'm not doing anything, which is like a lie, right? I'm, I am doing something, but I am not the one taking the action, right? You are the one after we get off the call, taking action in your own life. Like there's only, you know what I mean? It's like, you can lead a horse to water type deal. And so just, I have the best seat in the house because I get to watch women fully step into who they, the badass that they are, the powerhouse that they are and change their whole mindset towards their life. And it is so soul filling. And I just thank you so much for trusting me with, with that. And I just champion you and cheerlead you and those of us, those of you guys watching on YouTube, she looks so beautiful. She's also at a math. She's wow. Like you've lost like a whole person, like 50 pounds, right? Like this whole thing. She's made such a transformation. And I just like, could not be more proud and excited to be her friend and colleague. So before we hop off, I always ask two questions. So I'm going to ask these of you. Um, first one being Tiffany, what is your superpower? 
I am the organization queen. You give me a project, I will organize the S out of it. Yes. <laughs> yes. There are lots of us that are good. We're like the get shit done people, you know? Yes. That is the people that we are. If you have a task, like I am a task per- oriented person. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Yes. Last question. What is one piece of advice you would give um, younger lawyer, Tiffany? I would say that your worth is not based on the billable hour. It is not based on your work product. It is not based on the partner's opinion. It is not based on anything like that. You are a child of God and your value is based on your personhood because you were born, not because of any of the other things. And that's what I would tell myself. Amen. Like that is a mic drop comment right there. That's a mic drop. I love it. Tiffany, where can people find you and connect with you on social media if they want to? Sure. I'm at Tiff Limbrick on Instagram and you can find me on LinkedIn, just Tiffany dash in dash Limbrick after you know the LinkedIn. So awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I know that our listeners are going to resonate so much with this. Stories are powerful. Um, there is so much resonance in stories, um, especially amongst us big law survivors. So uh, thank you so much for your vulnerability and honesty and sharing. And thank you for sharing about coaching. And we will see you next week. Tiffany, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much. All right. See you guys next week. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening into the Powerhouse Lawyers podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you loved this episode, I would be so honored if you left a review. And because I know you are the type of woman who wants to see other women win, be sure to share this episode with someone who needs it. By sharing it, you are empowering a fellow sister in the law to know that she is not alone, that there is nothing wrong with her, and that she can build a life and career that she loves. Thank you. See you next week.